There is a library that exists at the nexus where all other universes collide. Inevitably, things wind up there by mistake. Books, artifacts, people. This is the place where things from all universes end up when they get lost. This is the Eternity Archives. everyone, welcome back to the Eternity Archives. We are continuing our Wild Sea arc today, an adventure of exploration in a post-apocalyptic world overrun by rampant plant life and weirdness. I'm Dorka, and I am your anchor for today. Before we go ahead and dive right in, I'm going to have my co-hosts introduce themselves with a topical answer to a topical question. What is everyone's favorite plant? Tree, flower, whatever you want. Just tell me your favorite plant. Hi everyone, I'm Ziva. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Linda, who in the world of Wild Sea is a gal rootless char, so she's an adorable little mushroom person chef. My favorite plant would have to be cherry trees. I just think that they're really like magical and beautiful in the springtime, and sometimes when they're not ornamental, when they're like the real deal, you also get a delicious snack out of them. So I'm just I'm just a big fan of those big, beautiful pink clouds. You eat the trees? You eat the cherries, not the whole tree. <laughs> I mean, you can eat the whole tree if you really, really want to. If, if you're like, that if you're, you're going to be that serious. If you're really dedicated. Like, yeah. Yeah. Don't let your dreams be dreams, guys. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, everyone. My name is Bappy. My pronouns are they, them. I play Real Day Jaquel, who in this arc is a cute little fluffy moth person. But, you know, in any other arc, maybe spiritually and metaphorically, they are also a cute little moth person. My favorite plant is, these are actually two plants, but Bath and Body Works used to have this aromatherapy fragrance called Lavender Chamomile. So I I really like those two. And then they stopped selling it. And my life has never been the same. And I've not known peace. I've not gotten a single night's sleep since they took that off the shelves. And I'm very upset. (laughs) But Lavender Chamomile. (laughs) Always remember what they took from you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But so is it the plant that's your favorite or is it just the scent? The scent. But the scent's part of the plant, right? Like, I mean, that's yeah, absolutely I mean, part of the plant. I mean, if you want to. OK, I was thinking I was also thinking cherry blossoms because I think they're very pretty. But I also like um, potatoes. Potatoes is a good plant because <laughs> they're like, an excellent plant. Yeah, It's just cute. Very versatile. Yeah, it's cute as a word, as a entity. It's delicious. Flowers come out of it. So, yeah, you know, I guess I had more answers than I thought. But there you go. A, vari- a garden variety of answers. Hey. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, hey, I'm Alex. I'm playing Isa, and I'm the uh, guest on the show for this arc. Um, my favorite plant, I'm probably going to be that person and say I like love carnivorous plants. So I would go with like pitcher plant or Venus flytrap. I just think they're so bizarre. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty intense one. This is a perfect game for you. <laughs> and that's why it you're really on the is. show. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense, honestly. So I think my favorite plant is probably a pineapple. It's not like my favorite fruit and my favorite fruit, but it is a grapefruit. But the pineapple plant just looks hilarious. Have y'all ever looked at a pineapple plant? Do they come from trees? No. No, no. It's like a bush and the fruit grows off a fucking stalk. It's so funny. It looks like a hat. 
like, like yes. the fruit wears the fruit as, or the, the plant wears the fruit as a hat and it's like it's so weird it's a great plant it's like a stem coming up out of the bush with a pineapple on top it's hysterical that's very cute like a little lantern yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's adorable or like it's a like lamp it tries to eat you it tries to and eat as a me. bonus pineapple tries to eat you when you try to eat it what oh i thought that was just grapefruit no, the pineapple has, yeah, it's got an enzyme in it that breaks down protein. So when your mouth hurts when you eat too much pineapple, it's because it's trying to basically digest you. Oh. All right, carnivorous plant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so last arc, we went over the rules and the character creation of Wild Sea. This is a fantastic and elaborate setting, and there's a lot there. So if you missed that, you definitely probably want to go back and listen to it. Today, we're going to jump into the world and actually play it. Are y'all ready for that? Yay! I'm so excited. So excited. So first, since I know you're all excited about this, tell me about the ship that you created when we were preparing for this game. Absolutely. Our ship is basically like a giant living pile of flowers growing out of the hull of the ship. It's being pulled by giant bumblebees. We have an outrider. Is that is that what they're called? Why can't yeah. I remember anything? We have an outrider bee. Um, so it's just a smaller bee that like a riding bee. Yeah, yeah. yeah where we can like you know uh, not dock, but I guess when we are docked, you know, you can uh, get on the smaller bee. And it's like a smaller ship that you can. See. I think generally they're like little paddle boats, but this time it's it's a bee. It's like a scouting ship that we can send out, and it's important. It's only it's big enough to carry one person, not all three of us. Yes. The bees pulling the ship, however, are massive. Yes. yes. Big bees. And they have the flowers and plants growing out of our ship uh, in case they need a break and they need to come back and, and refuel. It means our ship like blends into the environment around us, which is extremely cool. And also on our ship, we have a bunch of trained birds who can carry messages around. We were trying to go for messenger octopuses, but that was against the rules. <laughs> it cost too much. No, there was that was a different <laughs> yeah. octopus. The messenger animals had to be flying. I think oh, that was that's right. Very disappointing. <laughs> and then when our bees get tired, uh, we do have a separate engine that's a solar compressor. It just takes in solar energy. And of course, being a you know library ship, we do have a library and some research stuff, a navigational suite, a galley, and a medical bay. So little rooms for each of us. The ship is not super large. It's quite small compared to um, the Oasis, the ship you were back on back in the Henshin arc. It could probably house three or four people comfortably. And conveniently, there are four of you. The three who have come through the book drop. And there is a figure standing on the bow of the ship. And Dumpling, who is a calico slink. Oh, yeah. Which is like a ghostly cat. (laughs) So at the bow of the ship is a tall, stooping figure, probably seven feet tall, but hunched over slightly. Humanoid, but with limbs far too long and too fibrous to be human. A mane of white flowers sprouts from a head-like protrusion as if an imitation of hair, and a mouth-like opening grins at you as they lean against the railing of the ship. They're spined and green, a cactus given life. And they have a journal. But before we get into that, I want all of you to tell me what you look like and how you're reacting to arriving in this strange new world. Yeah, so as I mentioned before, Rill is just like 
a bipedal, very fluffy moth person, just purple like they are. But you know how Wishbone has like the spot around his eye? That's what Rill's black eye kind of manifests at. It's just like a darker purple like Wishbone patch on their eye. And then... You know, I'll consider even though they're a giant moth person, this is probably maybe a form they're more comfortable with because they do have wings um, and generally the Mothrin, the wings are just for show, but I did take something that strengthens their wings so they can actually fly or glide a bit. They're taking in everything. And when they look at you guys and the cactus person, they're just like stunned. Linda is taking in everything around her with wide eyes. Given their experience in Sweetgrass, she's a little nervous to be surrounded by, as far as she can tell, vines as far as the eye can see, though she notices <laughs> some um, less frightening like trees and stuff, um, though she doesn't know that she should actually really still leave those trees alone. But she is happy enough when she sees her own form, because like I said, she's a, a cute little chubby mushroom person, kind of like an Amanita. She's very like like rounded and and friend shaped. She has <laughs> the red polka dotted um, mushroom cap hair, and she also has um, her her extra arm that she is glad to see because she also has um, sort of draped across her body an enormous spice bandolier. So it's just full of spices and flavors and little bits of this that and the other um and so she's glad to see that she has an extra arm to uh help her manage the egg and still let her sort of deal with the weight of this massive pile of goodies that she has tucked around her body so now she's feeling like she at least has some things going for her in exchange for the fact that they're surrounded by plants with questionable intent Issa's mind is absolutely blown by the number of trees I feel like it's important to say here that she grew up in the city. All of the places that she's been thus far are fairly urban. So not only is she unfamiliar with like wild spaces, most of the trees she's seen are like pretty sick and small and not very well cared for. So this is like absolutely alien to her. So her first thought looking out over all of this is like not even a thought. It's just like green static and that's it. When she sees herself massively changed, that's less of a shock than just seeing like all of this wild nature. She is sort of bluish gray and transparent and ghostly because she was bluish gray and transparent and gooey before her body died and she became an anchored. But it's not really terribly surprising to her. Like it's, you know, she, she knows that you change when you go through this and it feels sort of at home to her for reasons she really can't quite understand, particularly the fact that her body seems to have been shored up by some sort of like pulsing driftwood engine that seems to be helping maintain her bodily integrity. She's not sure if that came before or after she turned into a ghost thing, but there it is. Wild. Y'all are so cool. I love that we don't have any human characters in this. We all went just completely crazy with the character creation. Yeah. So the egg is still there, wrapped in the sling that you brought it through. Unlike you, the egg has not changed. The egg belongs here. It doesn't feel as wrong here. You don't get that sensation of it being an anomaly now that it has arrived. You get the sense that if you wanted to, you could just toss it overboard and be done with it. It's back in the universe it belongs in, but 
It's an egg. It's a baby. It's nearly hatched. Ryl is getting ready to do that. (laughs) Ryl's like, oh, well, this was an easy job. Let's go. (laughs) Heave. Ho. And then it's probably Dumpling is like holding back a part of the sling with with its mouth, with their mouth. (laughs) Shakes their little head. Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) Probably we should uh, maybe go find where this actually belongs. I know it belongs roughly here, but, uh, you know, it's not enough to just bring the mail inside and throw it down. You gotta open it up and sort it. Yeah, I'm guessing we're looking for the parents or the nest. At this, the figure at the bow of the ship steps over, extends a long cactus arm. There aren't any spines on their hand, though, fortunately. And they do seem intent on shaking your hands. They seem very friendly, in fact. A big grin, toothless, sort of just a hole in their face where a mouth should be. And they say, that is a leviathan if I have ever seen one. Welcome. Oh, great. Because we've never seen one. Uh, thanks. Everyone here is a, a plant? They look at Isa and say, well, not everyone. Oh, Okay. Linda is uh, slightly freaked out by plant person that, like, doesn't necessarily connect in her brain, despite the fact that she is now a fungus person. But she's going to reach her hand out and uh, and be polite and just shake hands and say, Well, hello there. I guess you're the person we're supposed to talk to. I uh, see you got a journal there. My name's Linda. This is Rill and uh, Isa. And, uh, yeah, we're trying to find where uh, where this bad boy goes. Nice to meet you. They nod enthusiastically. They say, I'm Raul Duran. You can call me Raul. It's very nice to meet you, Raul. They pat the journal that's uh, slung around their waist. They are dressed in sort of like flowing fabrics, brightly patterned, with a variety of belts holding the journal and weapons, other equipment. They seem like the sort of person Zen would probably like. You know, large and friendly and well-equipped. I think seeing the journal Rill is a little on edge, but they're trying to hide it. They're just like, you know, they go up, shake the person's hand. There's like, uh, hi, my, my name's Rill, and this is Dumpling. Um, n- nice to meet you. Hi, Rill. Thanks for, uh... Hi, Dumpling. Yeah. Issa's probably not entirely on edge just because she doesn't know any better at the moment. So, this is going to be a little different than what you're used to, I think. See, I'm from the library, too. Yeah, I'm also from here. And I stay here full time to help the groups like you that come down to take stuff in, bring stuff out. I upkeep the ship, you know, feed the bees. Uh-huh. Sure. Have you met the bees? Come meet the bees. And they oh. they, <laughs> they wrap a uh, arm around Rill's shoulder and uh, sort of guide them over to one of these gigantic bumblebees that's perched on the front of the ship. <laughs> Okay, I'm meeting the bees. Uh, as we have established in Heroic Chord, Linda loves bumblebees. So she like gives a little a little clap and uh, walks behind uh, very animatedly. She's very excited to meet these giant bees because who has not wanted to pet a bumblebee before? And now maybe she can if they're friendly. Isa is definitely struggling against the urge to immediately hug one, but also is a little bit put off by the giant insects. She's not quite sure what to think. Real hugs one. <laughs> <laughs> Living the dream. Ral seems to, to sense this and gestures at Issa and says, you can hug one. She pets one gently and is sort of like getting used to the idea a little bit and like maybe gives one like a little bit of like sort of a side hug 
and isn't she's not quite there yet to be able to hug like she really wants to but she's she's getting used to it do you have like dog biscuits for the bees do you have biscuits what's a dog uh it's like it's like that <laughs> points points at dumpling do you have like treats but like for the bees you're like flowers or something they they tend to to take what they need from the ship oh okay well mm. can i give it a banana or something they hold up a finger a long cactus finger and vanish into like the interior of the ship and they come out with a little jar of honey and they just stick their fingers in there pull their fingers out covered in honey and hold those fingers out to one of the bees who starts lapping it up with their proboscis. <laughs> and then they hold the jar out to Rill. Uh, hell yeah. Um, Rill puts their hand in and holds it out for the bee as well. And now the other bee, the second bee, is bumbling along the deck and sort of nudging at uh, Linda, who is the first person they get to. They want some honey. <laughs> this this tickles. <laughs> Linda is is fucking delighted. She she absolutely uh, dips her hands in some honey and gives it to the bee. And while it's uh, it's got its super long tongue lapping it up, she uh, gives it little little rubs on the head and does the normal talk of like, "Who's a good bee? Who's the fluffiest little bumbler?" She's never thought about having a bumblebee as a pet, and now she immensely wants one. She wants one, and she's going to name it Garfield because it has stripes, and it's really fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> so once Raul's fibrous hand has been completely licked free of honey, they lean back on the railing of the ship again, and that railing is completely overgrown with vines and leaves and flowers. You get the sense that if you were to see this ship from a distance, you wouldn't be able to distinguish it from the rest of the canopy. And Ral says, I know where there's a breeding ground, not far from here, I think. Stuff shifts around sometimes, and it's hard to keep track, but I I know the general direction if you want to drop that off somewhere. Ral's not listening. Ral's playing with the bee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid if you toss it, just toss it over. Like, it might just end up somewhere where it's not supposed to be anymore, you know? I think that's a good call. Taking it to a breeding ground sounds like our best bet. Do you know what we can expect at the breeding ground? Issa is, like, sort of side-eyeing to me while she talks, for the record. Like, maybe dipping a finger in the honey and holding it out. And is slightly distracted. Rose is rubbing cheeks with the bee. <laughs> well, Leviathans hopefully, and, um, uh, breeding. Breeding. That does make sense, yes. Finally, we are fulfilling the monster fucking <laughs> prophecy that has been foretold since episode one. <laughs> they say most of the breeding happens deep down below. Hopefully the, uh, Leviathans won't rise above the sink, and, uh, up here in the thrash it'll just be nests, eggs, and we should just be able to slip this in there, no problem. I do have a quick question out of character. When Rill looked at the journal, did they see any lines specific to them? No. Okay. And that line from the end of the last adventure is still in their journal, right? I think it's still there, but it's faded. You can still clearly see it. Yeah. What did it say again? I don't actually remember. I think it said, I'm waiting, baby bird. Something oh, like that. Okay. It was like, hurry up, get on with it. Okay, so there's no new lines. Okay, I just needed to refresh my memory. Okay, cool. 
So Linda is able to uh, sort of tear herself away from snuggling the bee, though she is still absentmindedly petting it because it's so soft. You have no idea. So she is going to nod and, and say, yeah, I think we should go with that. Um, hold on. Before we do, just real quick, I've forgotten all of this, um, the all of the bee. Um, just I want to check. Rill, Issa, Dumpling? Dumpling. Oh, Dumpling. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Okay. Let's do that, I think, if there's no objections. I think that's a good idea. Let's go. Uh, Rill has, like, stuck their face. Do moths pollinate? <laughs> that's yes. a good question. Moths, yeah, moths are pollinators. Okay, so so Rill, like, sticks their face in, like, a giant flower that has bloomed from the ship and just got, like, pollen all her face and is now just, once again, rubbing faces with the bee. <laughs> <laughs> Ralderon pats the bees on the uh, on the bums. <laughs> that's why they're called bumblebees, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> and they say, okay, Pitter, okay, Patter, let's go. <gasps> Their names oh are God. Pitter and Patter. I love them so much. <laughs> With the realization of the names, Isa has decided she would die for these bees. They are adorable. <laughs> I, I can't take it. I love them so much. <laughs> Peter and Patter start flapping their their wings and they uh, kind of slowly and lazily rise off of the deck. And you notice that there are thick reins attaching the bees to the ship. The ship starts to move, pulled across the canopy. And it's a surprisingly smooth ride for being pulled across treetops. By bumblebees. By bumblebees. (laughs) For the record, are the bees, are they like moose, moose-sized? Because these have to be pretty freaking big bees, right? You, they're they're pl- larger than moose-sized. Holy shit. So they're like bigger than pickup trucks. Yes. Okay. Wow. Amazing. It's an interesting comparison, <laughs> but yes. Amazing. Okay. And so Rawl says, I'm going to handle Pitter and Patter. I work with them. I know how they, how they operate. One of you should go on watch, and um, we should hopefully get there sooner rather than later. Would I be able to uh, hang out with you, Rawl, and, and, I don't know, pick your brain a little bit? Just want to kind of get to know you a little bit more and and figure out the lay of the land, you know, a bit more. It's uh, really different from anywhere else we've been, so... Yeah, bud. uh, No no problem. I'm happy to volunteer for the first watch. Issa desperately wants to just, like, watch the canopy. She's fascinated by this. Well, there is an observation platform rising above the ship, probably the only part of the ship that isn't covered in foliage, though there are vines like twisting up the mast that it is attached to. Issa scrambles up there then and sort of finds like a little spot to nest and she just sits there playing with the locket in her hand and watching the trees go by. I think Linda's going to go below deck and just kind of explore, get the lay of the land and uh, see what kind of stuff they have down here in case, um, you know, someone someone needs a margarita or, um, you know, they're going to be here for a while. She just likes to, you know, since they're going to be on the ship for a while, she wants to figure out what's there. All right. So now I'm going to talk about some mechanical stuff, because now you've set a destination, which is the Leviathan Breeding Grounds. And we are setting off on a journey, which means something specific in Wild Sea. I'm setting a progress track. I'm not telling you how long it is because you don't actually know how far away you are. And there's also a threat track or two, which are also secret. And based on how you proceed, these tracks will advance or recede. 
And if one of the threat track fills up, something bad is going to happen. The way this works, you'll all sort of have a little bit of input on how this journey goes. One of you is going to be the pilot and you get to decide the pace of the journey. So cutting a path means you're traveling at a decent speed. And if you see anything on the way, you can usually decide whether or not you want to encounter it or pass it by. Forging ahead means you're going much faster and running much more roughly. You're making more noise, attracting more attention. You'll get to your final destination more quickly, mark off the progress track more quickly, but any potential dangers will be on you before you can avoid it safely. And the third option is to drop anchor and take a break, which will let you do a montage where you can work on personal projects or short-term activities like hunting or building or foraging. So one of you is the pilot. And you'll change these roles basically every step of the journey. So does someone want to volunteer for that? Well, I was thinking either Issa or Rail, just because Rail is with Rawl at the front right now. But Issa is also on the observation deck. So I, was gonna say, uh, I think Rill, either of us have like... Just because you're the one who's at the helm of the bees. So yeah, you're handling yeah. the bees. Okay, yeah, then, then Rail will be cap- or pilot first. And so another one of you is going to be on watch, which means you have a small amount of control over what you might encounter between now and the next leg of the trip. So you can make a watch roll, which will randomly decide what sort of event you might come across. And remember, if you're cutting a path and you come across something that you don't want to mess with, you can just decide to skip it and pass it on by. But if you're forging ahead and going fast, you're going to be stumbling right into whatever you find. Or instead of doing a roll, you can just make a discovery by combining one of your charts and one of your whispers, which were some of the resources you obtained on character creations. This will use both the chart and the whisper, but then we'll sort of work together to figure out what you find based on the prompt that that gives us. So whispers are sort of like these living rumors that you find on the wild sea that sort of change the very nature of like the world around you based on how you use them. So there are whispers like a grove of twisted trees or truth in steam, a sunken path, prompts like that. And you can kind of see how those might like evoke a sort of environment or encounter. That would make sense for Issa since she's currently on watch and also has two whispers and three charts starting out in her character. <laughs> oh, wow. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. And so that's how charts and whispers are generally used, is to make these discoveries. I may or may not have been very excited by the charts and whispers. They're just so evocative, everything that I found there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And see, that's going to show you exactly how hard it is for, like, the GM to really plan stuff ahead of time. Because the player can just be like, hey, I have these two charts and three whispers, and I can combine them in any combination, and then we're doing that. So I guess... Who goes first? Is there a turn order in this? Well, first you get to decide the pace. Okay. Let's just do the first one, the decent pace, right. like because we want to get to where we want to get, but I don't think we're like in a hurry necessarily. And I don't know, I think Rill also wants some time to talk to Rawl as well while this is all happening. Okay. So, Alex, how is what is Issa going to find on watch? Are you going to do a watch roll or are you going to make a discovery? I'm going to make a discovery because I have all these whispers and charts. Excellent. So Aviza is sitting up um, on the observation deck watching the canopy go by. She starts looking through her bag and realizes that there are some things in there that she didn't 
quite bring with her, namely three rolled up sort of old charts. And there's something not quite alive, but there's there's something sort of nagging at the back of her mind. And she's always been a little bit too curious for her own good. So rather than talking to anybody about this, she just pulls out the one that jumps into her hand first and pulls out a faded schematic that is just barely legible, but clearly very old. And as she's looking through it and sort of traces her hand over the old ink and the water-stained lines, she gets something churning in the back of her mind, which is the words drowned and not. Hmm. So the chart you're using is a faded schematic. And the whisper is drowned and not. Okay. So basically we're going to use those two things. That's going to give us a prompt and we're going to figure out what you might find there. So a faded schematic, drowned and not. And I am open to input from the players. This is specifically like GM and players are supposed to work together here to figure out what we find. So what does this evoke in you? I'm thinking like uh, some kind of mechanical thing, like half poking out of the top of the branches. So like maybe like like a like a tank or something that like we would have no use for, but it would be good to scavenge. I was thinking like a <laughs> I'm a weeb, so I was thinking of like a giant robot that's just been like you know stuck in the trees and has like had moss kind of and vines kind of growing over it. And maybe like for the drowned and not, maybe this is like one of those um, diving robots or something built for like deep sea exploration. I was thinking like sort of a diving bell type thing, something lost in the canopy. Yeah, like there's something that there's no longer any use for, but something old used for deep sea exploration, but like the ocean sea and not the wild sea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I was also thinking because of the and not, I was thinking of some sort of, I don't know if there's any sort of inhabitant or if this is something that is abandoned, but I was thinking like ghosts or thinking oh. of robots, like maybe some some sentient robot that's been stuck there or something that's been sort of maybe not necessarily abandoned, but for like forgotten and stuck and can't get out or... You know what? Maybe this is, this diving bell is uh, one of the Ironbound. Ooh. Ooh. Those are the, um, those are the sentient shipwreck people. Ooh. I'm totally up for that. It's basically like ancient shipwrecks are kind of given life and corrupted by the, um, well, not corrupted, but changed by the corruption beneath the treetops. And all right, so I'm going to, I'm going to run with this and I'm going to build from it. All righty. We'll get there, but while we're while we're getting there, you're sailing along. Real, what are you doing at the uh, the bow of the ship with Rawl? I think at first they're just trying to make like friendly conversation, just be like, you know, hey, how long have you been with the library? How long have you been leading people through this place? Just to like, like Rawl already seems like a friendly person, but Real is just like kind of on edge and just suspicious because in their mind, it's like these evil versions of themselves like they can change form too when they go into a different world um and they could just lie about what their name is like it wouldn't be hard to pretend to be a different person um so they're trying to like 
scope out Rawl and be like, is this a possibility with with this person? Rawl tells you, I've been with the library for uh, a long time. You know, it's hard to tell when you're in there, right? So I was there for a while, found myself there one day, and did what you folk do, I guess. Going to new places, finding new shit, and then one day a mission brought me back here. Where I'm I'm from here. And, you know, I didn't want to go back when I was done, but wasn't quite ready to leave the library behind either. So they pat their side and say, I've still got my journal, and kind of working as a uh, intermediary for folk coming in and out like y'all. So you were given a choice, or did you just not go back? Told my anchor to leave me down here. Huh, weird. Have you seen anything weird? Well, everything is weird everywhere, but have you ever seen anything particularly dangerous or insidious within the library? No, I don't think so. You know, I can tell the time here. I've been down here for two years since I left the library. And and you've You've only stayed here. You've never gone anywhere else since you came back down here. Not since I came back down here, no. I'd have to go back to the library to do that, and I'm not sure it would let me leave again. Yeah. I mean, if you're still working as an archivist, have you actually left? Honestly? I don't mind. Look at this ship. Look at Pitter and Batter. This is the fucking life. Yeah, it's pretty pretty nice. I don't know if there's insight in this game. Is there anything like insight in this game? To like judge a person's intentions? Sense, maybe? Do I have? Is that a base? You have a skill that's called scrutinize. Let's see what that does. Scrutinize for noticing patterns, evidence, and details others miss also allows you to uh, better explore new environments. Yes, I think that would make sense. Okay, so how does this ro- uh, work again? I have to pick so an edge. Yeah, pick an edge skill. if you have if you think any of your edges apply to the situation. I guess instinct, because instinct says like sense, intuition, reaction. So instinct. Yes, yeah, so that's instinct. So you get one die from your edge, and then you get um, how many points do you have in scrutinize? Two. All right, so you get two dice, and then if you have any like aspects that might apply to that then you can no i don't think yeah so. i don't think you do either okay so i roll three three d6 Ooh, first dice roll of the yeah. uh okay i got two fours and a five okay so a five is my highest and a, oh wait a i got double. a double oh shit <laughs> so five is a partial success with a drawback and so in this case Vral seems genuine like they seem very comfortable in this world maybe that's because they've been out of the library for two years but it could be because they are like they said from this world but their expression's hard to read because they are a cactus and don't really have they don't have a face a face <laughs> yes uh, so while they seem genuine there's not really a way for you to be 100% certain. As for your twist, does anyone have a good idea for a twist here? Normally I'd say something like like he gets suspicious, but I don't feel like that's that's really what Rawl's given me. Could maybe Zen pick up on some of Rill's like questioning? Because Rill's trying to hide this from the others, but like Zen's watching everyone, right? That's true. So Zen does notice that Rill is like 
probing this person and whispers down from their vantage point in the library. It's like, hey, bud, this person, they're uh, they're in my journal. So, oh, I mean, yeah, they're gonna be in your journal, right? I mean, some has everything in our journals always been right? I can't think of a time where it hasn't been. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I mean, do you, you've met more people than I have. You've lived a, you know, more eventful life. Does, does this person seem legit to you? Oh, I've just thought of a good twist. Ralderon also has a journal and they can hear Zen. Oh, oh no. <laughs> and so they laugh with their cactus mouth and they pat Rill on the back and they say, yeah, there's nothing to worry about. What's got y'all so on edge? We had a bad last mission. Sorry, I it's nothing personal. Just I'm a little traumatized, I think. Uh t- don't take it personally. We've all been there. I went to this uh this world once where we were like wolf men, wolf monsters with big old claws and nearly tore me in half. Woof, was shaken for weeks. Oh, yeah. That that sounds pretty bad. Yeah, they went to a world where they were attacked by plants. <laughs> Okay, this is kind of uh, <laughs> ironic. <laughs> well, can't promise that won't happen here. Oh, cool. <laughs> Dope. Uh, you know what? I should probably warn more Linda, actually. C- could you do that, Zen? Sure thing. And um, down below, with Linda in her galley, Zen will say, Hey, uh, Rail says the plants here can be kind of dangerous. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Ooh, uh... Thank you. I'll keep my eyes peeled. I did have a vague suspicion. Some of those plants aren't right. Sorry, I just keep thinking of a Hank Hill. So <laughs> that boy ain't right. Some's not right. <laughs> that plant ain't right. <laughs> I know we've always we've made that joke before, and I'm going to keep making yep. that joke. <laughs> it's because every time we slightly remember the words better. Hey, everybody! Thanks so much for listening. I wanted to jump in with a quick reminder that you can support us by leaving a review on Podchaser or iTunes. Since we're an independent show, this helps us a ton. You can also support us by buying stickers, making a one-time donation, or joining as a monthly supporter on our Ko-fi page at ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Our monthly supporters get exclusive behind-the-scenes content like character sheets, GM notes, and access to our fan discord. Before we get back to it, here's a message from another great show on the Be Gay Roll Dice Network. Check them out and give them a listen. Thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Well, hello there, young adventurer. I've been waiting for you. We've met before, don't you remember? Ah, no worries. I'm quite forgetful myself. The other sparks are waiting for you. Avayath, Shuey, Theo, and Brandy. They've had such wonderful tales to tell. A truly marvelous story. I wonder which one of them will be the chosen one. Perhaps none of them will. Perhaps it will be you. The morning's coming soon. I have to leave now. Will I see you again? I sure hope so. Is a story really a story if there's no one to tell it to? Well, goodbye for now, adventurer. Chosen Ones is a visual novel-style D&D podcast on YouTube that releases every Thursday at 1pm CST. Find us on Twitter at Chosen Ones D&D. Come adventure with us.
so y'all are sailing along, and the canopy is thick enough in places not only to sail on, but to walk on. Still, it's surprising to see out in the distance a towering figure surrounded by those blossoms. They lift an arm, as if to wave at you, and the movement is slow and almost mechanical. There's a spyglass mounted atop the observation platform, and looking through it, Issa sees the figure in better detail. She recognizes a diving bell, once used to explore the ocean, useless now, and rusted at the edges. It's the first thing you've seen here that suggests that this might just be Earth after all. But that isn't even the half of it. The diving bell seems to make up the head of a mismatched robotic body. It's made of wood and metal, but it isn't a robot, not exactly. It couldn't be. The joints and connections are all wrong, and a lot of it is wood and bone and a mismatch of materials. It has two legs, four arms, a body made of the wreckage of ships and scraps. A blue-white light swirls within the diving bell, shining through the glass. It seems to notice Issa watching, and that light separates and forms the shape of a sideways smile like an emoticon, and it waves again. You're still far enough away from it that, if you wanted to, you could pass it by. But it is in your path, far out. Hey, Rawl, what the fuck is that? Issa's immediately gonna call down to Rill and be like, so you guys do see this, right? Yeah, uh... She sort of waves back instinctively, even though it can't see her. Rawl, uh, puts a hand up to their head, sort of like someone might put a hand over their eyes to see better. Not that Rawl has any eyes that you can see. They say, huh, beats me. I mean, do you guys have big robots on this world? Oh, I don't know what a robot is, but we've got plenty of big stuff. It seems friendly. I mean, should we go check it out? It's in our way. It might be able to, I'd say help, but I don't know that we necessarily need help, but it might be able to help us with the Leviathans. It's big. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. We, we might as well check it out if it's on the way. Is Linda still downstairs? Yes, um, but she has heard the um, commotion out on the deck. She hears everyone talking, and so she comes up and sticks her head out and looks around the corner and says, Is that a robot? That's what I said. It looks friendly. Maybe yeah. we should go make a friend. That's what we're thinking. I mean, Raul, you know more about this place than we do. Is that advisable in this kind of, I don't know, in this world? Yeah, we're not like going into a death trap, are we? Well, it doesn't look like a leviathan, so that's reassuring. Uh, Out of curiosity, what does a leviathan look like? It's much bigger than that, for one. It's bigger? Way bigger. Way bigger. So how, how big is this robot? From what you can tell, probably about 15 to 20 feet. Damn. So it's about the size of a pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> or the height. A pickup truck is <laughs> not 15 feet tall. A pickup truck is like maybe eight feet really damn my sense of height is yeah off. 20 feet 20 feet's like two floors okay all right would you say it's two of these things or like a thing and a half like how big is a leviathan in comparison and how many teeth well first off there are a few different kinds of leviathan okay so it's not like an it's not like a type of animal oh uh, it is a type of animal but not oh, a specific okay, okay. not a specific species you know yeah okay i got gotcha. you like how bird is lots of different birds they're not all the same bird so i've, I've seen 
bits and pieces of a few different kinds. Never seen a full one. Never want to see a full one, you know? Hey. So big. Will they try to kill us? Sometimes. I mean, like, oh, okay. I was about to say, like, you know, you don't try to kill every ant that you, like, come across. Sometimes you just leave them alone. But uh, anyway, I think we're getting a little off off track here. Yeah, he's just leaning over and says, but this thing doesn't look like it's trying to kill us, right? Well, it's waving. Usually pirates come in groups. And maybe there's pirates in there. Uh, do you see if there's anything in there, Issa? Issa looks through the spyglass, and do I need to make a roll for that? Sure. Alright, um, she's got sense, two, which is, what, is, is it two extra dice, or how does, I'm trying to remember. So first you pick an edge, if you have an edge that might apply to this. I have iron bales and sharps. Yeah, what is sharps? Yeah. Sharps is logic, wit, and planning. Yeah. I mean, she might, like, have an idea of where to look that somebody might be there, but that's pushing it, I think. So I don't think I have an edge that would help. But I do have um, sense as one of my skills. Okay. Yeah. And that's, like, environmental awareness and, and social understanding. So that applies. And if you have, like, any equipment or aspects that might help you with that. Uh, yeah. I don't think I have any equipment or aspects that would help. It's just sense. All right. So, yeah. So just roll your two dice. Okay. And I got a six and a four. A six is a success. And so as you look through that spyglass, you see like those swirling blue lights in the bell of the creature's makeshift head. It seems familiar to you. It seems to remind you of your own self, your own anchored self, how you're sort of a soul repossessing a body, a ghost. This thing is like you in that sense, but not entirely. You think there are more than one of you, of it, of that in there, in that bell. You can kind of make out multiple shapes within that blue-white light. Multiple souls. So Issa takes a moment to process that and to think about how to phrase that feeling. And she sort of leans over the observation deck and says, Well, I do think there's someone there, but I think that it is a someone. Maybe someone's plural? It's kind of hard to tell. That was cryptic, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 a very, but that's okay. That's kind of what we deal in. Um, do, do you think... Do they seem, like, malicious? I don't know if you can tell that from what you're gathering, but, um... Uh, Dorka, can I tell that from what I'm gathering? It's still waving to you. It seems like it's trying to get your attention to draw you in, but you can't tell if it's, you know, for, for good or for less good. It's not approaching, but, again, it is in your path. And you will be upon it eventually. Okay, so then Issa would answer, It doesn't look mean, but I think I'm getting that more from body language than anything else. I mean, listen, it's not like we're slow and it's not coming after us. So we could get a little closer and then if we need to run, we probably can. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think the fact that it's 
one person or persons up in that giant robot at least means it's probably not pirates. I suppose it might be one big pirate, but uh, I'm willing to take that risk a little bit. I think approaching and seeing how it goes makes sense to me. Is there a way to do like a, a DM with Zen so that they don't accidentally uh, start to do a group chat? I think we've done that before. Okay, yeah. I think Rill is trying to be more like pragmatic going forward. And they know that Zen maybe has some experience with that sort of thing. So they would actually ask Zen like, uh, how would you approach this? Like realistically, what is the smart thing to do here? Because I... I want to say help, but... Zen says, does it look like it needs help? I don't know. It's like waving at us. <laughs> I mean... It's pretty vague, but... Uh. If it were me, unless it looked like it was in distress, I'd probably pass it by. You know where you're going. You don't need to stop and chat. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'll see if I can kind of, I don't know, keep them on the reins, I guess. Uh, thanks. No problem. Just be careful, okay? Uh, yeah, trying to. Thing's a lot bigger than you. It, it sure is. It's almost the size of a moose. <laughs> Zen doesn't know what a moose is. I really hope rills from a world where moose are just like giant, twice as big as normal moose. Yeah, yeah. no, 100% like rill would like beam over, you know, a mind picture of what a moose looks like from their world to zen you know like one of these things i feel like we're gonna find a leviathan and real's gonna be like that is the size of a moose <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah yeah so yeah i don't i don't think they would you know oppose to going by because we have to go by it but i think it would depend on how people react as we're passing by it <laughs> all right so you you're approaching you're getting closer the thing is staying where it is the canopy is, as I said, thick enough to walk on in some places, but not others. And especially for a thing like that that looks heavy, it's probably pretty limited in where it can go. I'm going to tell you right now, like, that thing will not fit on your ship. You said diving bell. Is it shaped like... Is it humanoid shape or is it like a diving bell with like arms or something? The diving bell is sort of like the head of this figure. It's like it's like it's fashioned the diving bell into a head of the rest of the body that is likewise made up of scraps of ship and wreckage. Like wearing it as a helmet with nothing inside type thing. Yes, yes. Okay, so okay, what do you guys want to do? Because I don't think we should... Like, it's waving, but that doesn't mean it's a good thing, a good person, you know? Like, I think we should be careful, um, you know, kind of prepare for the worst. Issa is probably going to be, like, sort of at the bow of the ship at this point, and looking a little bit closer. And she's privately, like, wasn't able to read Bill's mind or anything, but she also sort of came to the conclusion that it looks like it might need help. So she'll be like... Well, while we're passing by, the thing looks like it's... I mean, that's heavy. It's, if it moves, it'll crash down below the canopy, won't it? I mean, we could at least try to communicate with it while we're here and see if it needs help. That's how I'm leaning, too. I, I don't want to do anything foolish. Uh, maybe it wouldn't hurt to, you know, throw a tarp or something over the egg. But other than that, I think 
it wouldn't hurt to just check in. Maybe, uh, maybe it knows where the Leviathan grounds are, or maybe it needs help, or maybe it can help us. I mean, we shouldn't just go past someone who needs help, if they do. And it seems strange to me that they'd be waving us in, like, they don't know who we are either, whatever this thing is. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, yeah, I... Can we bring the egg, like, below deck or something just just to hide it? I think that's a good idea, yes. Yeah. Uh, I guess who wants to do that? <laughs> Issa can grab one side of it, since apparently it's a two-person job with the... Linda will grab the other side. So you take the egg below deck, and when you come back up, you are upon the figure. It is right in front of you, standing with its feet on the branches just below the canopy is standing next to your ship. It's still about five to seven feet taller than the top deck. So it's still towering over you. It rests a wooden metal scrap-like hand on the railing of your flower-covered ship as the bees sort of slow and eventually stop and come back to rest on the bow. Issa would probably walk up to that hand and sort of try to look at it and get a better sense of whatever that blue swirling light is. She feels something of a connection to this thing just because of that sense. Like, not not like any sort of, like, mystical connection, but like a sense of something being in common. So that, that light swirls within the diving bell. You can see it through the glass. And it's like a whirlpool within this creature's head and occasionally something will like pop out of the rest of the mass and almost form a ghostly humanoid shape before being sucked back into the rest of it you see this happen a couple of times a different figure a different human each time can we see that too or is it just you can all see that okay uh, she would probably ask hello unless somebody else says something first. No, Rill would just look at Raw and be like, what? Like, what does, what is this? Right. <laughs> like, what does this mean? Raw says, well, I've seen Ironbound before. You know, they're the soul of a, of a shipwreck. Kind of forms a body around it, makes itself a new life. But, uh... Wait, 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 hold on. You said the soul of a shipwreck, like the people on the ship that wrecked? No, like or... the ship itself. The ships have souls here? Well, surprised us too. Uh, huh. Okay. Have you ever seen anything like this with multiple people? I've not. And never one this big. So Issa would definitely try to communicate with it somehow. Maybe if it didn't respond to voices, maybe wave again. It does respond to your voice. And it speaks back. And when it speaks, it's with many voices as one. And it says, I am, we are, I am, Deep Sea Explorer 16. I am, we are, I am, lost. Um, well, where are you, where are you headed to? This is, this is, this is not the sea. I must, we must find the sea. We are... Men for the sea. Oh, well, I have bad news for you, my friend. Um, I'm not sure there's much sea around here. 
It's definitely not up here. If it's anywhere, it's going to be down below. I, we, I was down below. I slept. And then I woke to this. What do you remember? Um. I remember the sea. Uh, Rail just, like, whispers to Rawl, like, uh, do you guys have, like, exorcisms here? Or, like, how do you usually handle this sort of, uh, situation? I mean, usually they're people. Uh, this one is... This does not seem right. Something ain't right about this robot. <laughs> robot ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> so... Linda's going to turn around and look at Rawl and say, I know that to you that this is the sea, but where we're from, the sea is is a, a lot of water, like a big amount of water. Do you have anything like that? Have you ever heard of anything like that? Oh, yeah, I've heard the old stories. But uh, there's a place where the, the trees end, dip down suddenly, abruptly, into something like that. But it is far from here. Is there a way we could transport them? How far? Have you seen that thing? You think you think Pitter and Patter can pull that thing? No, no, not the body. But is there a way we could transport the souls? Can you, I don't know, stick them in a jar or something? Do they have to be in that giant thing? The thing says, I, I am the body. The body is me. So how big is the diving bell in comparison to the rest of the... The diving bell is, you know, enough to fit a human inside. Okay, so Rail's just like, um, well, can we pull that that diving bell thing off? Uh, Like, I know it looks heavy as hell, and it's pretty big, but, you know, it's more feasible. You know what, actually, the ocean, which direction is it? Is it along the way? Is it in the same direction, or is it in a completely different direction? Rawl laughs and says, you could sail for months and not sure you'd still ever find it. Oh, um, Isa has another question for it, which is, where are you from? Because she's not sure that it's necessarily from here. If it's been, uh, she she knows that there's wrecks and things, but she's she's curious about this. I we I do not know. I was not aware, and then I was suddenly. I just know I am. We are. Build for the scene. I must find it. So, I have a proposal. I have a whisper and a chart that I think might, if I combine them and gave them to him, might be able to help him figure out where he needs to go. Assuming he can move. I guess that is uh, is an important component of this. So, you can see, like, judging from the like sticks and branches and leaves sticking out of its body it probably climbed up to the canopy from somewhere far below so even if it can't walk along the canopy it can move through the lower parts of the sea more easily than like someone like you can okay so let me propose this to you dorka and see how you feel about it um i guess and the whole rest of the table Normally, I would not be big on giving up two of my resources, but um, Issa has plenty of them and we are on our way with someone who actually knows where we're going. And so my whispers are a welcoming fleet and my chart is a chart of many colors. So mentally, I'm thinking that those could be combined to like a group of like a like a big group of wild sailors 
who may be able to, in fact, find the ocean. So if he could get to them, there might be someone who can take him to the water ocean where the trees end. Or there might be more information there. That's great. That's a fantastic Yeah, I'll, I'll allow it. You just have to uh, convey that information to, to them. Okay, so um, Linda is going to um, root around in her um, her big giant spice bandolier that's slung across her. Um, there's a little pouch kind of over her hip, and she rummages around in there and pulls out a chart of many colors, this, uh, this big, beautiful chart. And she leans over to the robot and says, You know, I'm not sure how I know this, my friend, but um, you should take this. There's a group of, of people like us, um, a lot of them, who know much more than we know. And um, they're not looking at this chart. It doesn't look like they're too far from here. Uh, you should go try and talk to them. Maybe someone will have more information. And they can take you back to the sea or they have a ship big enough to help you. We're small and I'm not sure we can do much, but I, I want you to have this. I, I think it can help you. The creature leans forward and... Out of that mass of light in the diving bell, three or four figures sort of spit out of the center, and humanoid figures that press their hands against the glass, all leading in as if examining this chart themselves. And then they're sucked back into that uh, whirlpool again. The thing goes still, and then that light forms once again a smiley face and a wink. And it nods <laughs> and says, Many more, they can find the sea. If anyone can find the sea, I bet they'll know where it is. And it reaches out with a, a wooden hand, some of those fingers barely hanging on, some sturdier than others, some made of metal, more fingers than on a normal human hand. And it very delicately takes that chart. The front of the diving bell slides open, and for a second that swirling mass of souls is exposed, and it sort of feeds that chart into itself, and those souls descend upon it and swirl around it, and it seems like they absorb it into that mass group consciousness, and it nods again, and says, I can, we can, I can find it. Thank you. Stay safe, friend. Find the ocean. Yeah, good, uh, good luck. And it turns and starts to move across the canopy, and you can tell when the canopy becomes too thin because it starts to sink below, still walking, like someone walking into the ocean. And very shortly, it's disappeared from view. And that's where we'll pick up next time, here on the Eternity Archives. The Eternity Archives is hosted, produced, and edited by Dorka, Bappy, and Ziva. Find us on Twitter at, at @thearchivespod or online at theeternityarchives.com. Our intro music is Paint the Sky by Hans Adam, and sound effects are obtained from zapsplat.com. Check out our show notes for more information and some helpful resources. Consider supporting us by telling your friends about us, or leave us a tip at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash theeternityarchives. Subscribe to our Ko-fi for all sorts of exclusive bonuses, behind-the-scenes content, and other fun surprises. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network.